0: Welcome to Get Rich Without Being a Bitch. This is the place to hear real and raw conversations about what it takes for female entrepreneurs to achieve financial success and live a rich life. I'm Vanessa Shaw, author of The Million Dollar Question and your hostess for this podcast. Yay, Jen Koken. Oh my gosh, welcome. Oh my gosh, Get rich without being a bitch podcast. I am so excited about the conversation we're about to have. Um, It was getting pretty exciting before we even turned this on and we were chatting about lots and lots of different tangents that we could be going in our conversation today. But by way of introduction, um, so that our audience knows, I just wanna let them have like the really high level on you and then we're gonna dive into really, really fantastic content. You are a peak performance coach, speaker, author, and expert on the subject of imposter syndrome. And you primarily work with C-suite women, executive women, helping them navigate this whole kind of quagmire of imposter syndrome. So let's just dive in right there. And what is it, Jen? Like, well, I've heard this term. I know I've suffered with it. A lot of the women I work with, What is imposter syndrome and why is it important?
1: So it was um, identified by two psychologists back in the 70s, Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes. And what they found is people who were in very high achieving positions, very high level positions felt like a fraud. They didn't think their, their skills had gotten them there. They actually thought they got there by luck. And what's so interesting for me is that people like Maya Angelou, You know, when she was writing her 12th book, she thought someone was going to be knocking at the door saying, no, no, no. We were kidding. We don't want you to write any more books. Albert Einstein thought of himself as an involuntary swindler. So the term, right? So the term syndrome is imposter syndrome. It's really imposter phenomenon or sensation, but because the syndrome is a medical diagnosis. This isn't a medical diagnosis. Once Clance and Imez discovered this in the 70s, they also thought their, their theory was women experienced it far more than men because men have more testosterone, which is thought of as the confidence hormone. But that's actually not the case. We just talk about it. We talk about our feelings a whole lot more.
0: You know, so- I've just learned something right in that minute. I just absolutely always assumed that women suffered with this far more than men.
1: Nope, there's no studies. There's no research that I, and they estimate that 70% of all people suffer from it. I, having been a coach for so long and coached people from high school students to members of Congress, everybody I come across has some form of imposter syndrome of questioning and doubting themselves. And I say, if you don't have some form of it, you're not stretching yourself enough. You're not risking
0: yourself Mm. enough.
1: Now, the other piece I'll say, which is, you know, questioning and doubting, thinking we're a fraud. I never thought about that. I never thought that I was a fraud. Did I question myself? Sure, but I didn't know I was doing it. In the 2000s, Dr. Valerie Young looked at all the research from Clance and Imez and the subsequent research, and she came up with these subcategories that for me opened up an entire world. Mm. So there's these five subcategories. There's people who are perfectionists. Well, hello, that's me. Uh, people who need to go it alone, people who feel like they have, they're have they an expert, they have to get all these degrees after their name, uh, people who are superwoman, staying at the office late, mm-hmm. you know, getting there earlier. Hello, that was me. I worked in politics forever and I had to be the first one in and the last one to la- leave. And then the other one that really rang a true bell for me was this subcategory she called her archetype, natural genius, the people who things come easily to. And that's always been me. And I figured out this week, Vanessa, because I was preparing for something and I kept procrastinating and mm-hmm. procrastinating. I had weeks to do it. And I was like 11th hour doing yes. it. Like, dang, I get it. As a natural genius, things come easy to me if they're not coming easy or I don't see the
0: easy path between A and B, I procrastinate. So interesting. Right? So interesting. So let's just back up a minute here because i'm like you know I, I and i'm really thinking about this a through my own story right right now
1: of course when
0: i went into business myself and i don't know how much you know of my backstory but some of my listeners certainly know the backs my backstory i was stay at home mom turned entrepreneur so I actually stayed at home supporting my husband in his global career for you know close to 10 years i had my kids Ran the home really beautifully. That was my role, I did it extremely well and kind of saw that as my career. And then I retrained as a kind of life coach back then although I actually barely practiced as a life coach because like yourself, I actually went straight into the world of like peak performance coaching in the side of uh, corporations and executive development. And that there was my, I mean, I kind of, uh, again, true story. I was hired before there was even any ink on my coaching certification, right? So in terms of like, I wasn't really that one that was like thinking I needed to have like, you know, the certification and all the rest of it to get going. I saw an opportunity, jumped in, landed myself a six figure deal, you know, before I was even qualified as a coach and figured, you know, I'll figure it out. This is an opportunity. And then imposter syndrome flared up massively for me, Jen. I mean, absolutely massively. And I would actually even call myself back then like the queen of self-doubt, right? I mean, I literally was wearing like that crown, the queen of self-doubt. And my thing was just, I don't know what really, I mean, again, you're very welcome to help me unpack it, even looking looking back on it now, it's kind of a, a fun story. I really felt like the fraud police, it wasn't even one person. For me, it was like the whole police force fraud police was gonna come knocking at my door and basically say, what the heck do you think you're up to? You have no right doing what you're doing. You, have, you don't know what you're doing. You are winging it, winging it, Vanessa Shaw, right? <laughs> um, and frankly, you're a stay-at-home mom. You are good at making cupcakes. You're wonderful at running the home. You're a great cook. You're great with your kids. And they are going to come and discover that that's who you really are. And you have no place <laughs> coaching right? these top executives that are running really successful businesses. And you know, frankly, you're going to be locked up for this. I mean, that was kind of the story that ran in my head for, I would say, a good 18 months.
1: It's not unusual, but number one, right? Um, Gosh, so great. It's very similar to my own, but let me say a couple of things about that. One is your story is a story. What we see, see in our mind, what we think about, what we're making up, the self-doubts, all that kind of stuff is, is, is not even real. Mm. It's just stuff we're making up. You know, what are they going to do? The, the First of all, the fraud police, which doesn't exist, are going to come in and go, you are only allowed to make birthday cakes on Fridays for this group. Get your hands off everybody You know, on coaching them. Who do you think you are? The other piece of that though, is the more you risked, risked the more your self-doubt crept up. Mm. And our self-doubts are our questioning ourselves. We all come by it very honestly. And you know, if you go to Google and look up overcoming imposter syndrome, the other day I looked it up 1.14 million hits on Google, wow. tools, tips, and techniques. It does None of those work because you can't manage your mind. You're not going to be able to manage out of your self-doubt in your mind. We have somewhere around the average of 50 to 60,000 thoughts a day and upwards of 85% are negative. Yes. So it's the way the human mind works because it's designed to determine threat and keep us alive and safe. So on one hand, imposter syndrome is a way to give you an avenue into what the mind games are and the chatter in your head is telling you. And each of us has a little bit of a flavor. So if I was coaching you, one of the things I would say to you would be, Vanessa, do you remember a time when you were a child that you wanted to embark on something new, some big journey? And we're either told no by your parents, or you epically failed. You have any memory of that?
0: It's interesting. Um, gosh, 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 gosh. Hmm. It's interesting because there's nothing that nothing that massively springs to mind. Right, and it doesn't. That's the
1: key thing. So when I work with clients, I'm getting them back to that originating story. It doesn't have to be some dramatic or traumatic. Mm-hmm. incident. And you, I mean, I'm putting you on the spot. Usually yeah. what I do is I take people through a guided meditation so they can also feel where that imposter syndrome shows up in their body, because sometimes we can't get back to a memory. We mm-hmm. just notice we start uh, caving into ourselves. It's almost like protection mode. Mm-hmm. And you could use that as a clue that you're dealing with imposter syndrome be like, okay, deep breath, shoulders back. I'm going to show up as powerful. Now, what I do isn't positive vibes or mantras, because again, that stuff doesn't work. We really get to the source of something and unlock the brain pattern where you put it together. So for example, I had a client who, when she was nine, she was a straight A student. I was like, okay, nine, you're in fourth grade. Gotcha. She came home with a C in math, mm. you know, long division. She couldn't get, who knows, and she, so all A's, the one C first time she shows this, the report card to her father, who's in the military. She was a military brat and traveled all around living on military basis as a child. And her dad was very stern and said, what, what's up with the C? Well, dad, it's average. Give me 1500 words on average. And oh my what god, I, right. Like that moment. And he probably didn't even say it that way. That's the way as a 55 year old he woman, it. she, yes. she heard it. And, and in that moment, what she realized is she was like, I'm never going to get it wrong again. I'm going to have to get it right because I don't want to feel that embarrassment and that shame. And then we telescoped out to her current life where that perfectionism has propelled her to the C-suite. So our so our our imposter syndrome can be our superpower Mm. used for good and not for
0: evil. And the evil is definitely directed toward us. (laughs) Yeah, you've got me thinking about this now, because I, you know, and, I, and again, it's, it is interesting, because I'm not sure that there was necessarily that one particular incident, but I think there was probably a flavor of like little stories, right, that were going on. And I certainly had this, I certainly had a story, well, it wasn't a story, it was an experience of when I would declare what I wanted growing up, kind of, you know, really, I was, you know, I was definitely passionate, I was aware of my desires, I was very aware of my emotions, it was that sense of being shut down, right? Um, so that I definitely remember, and it's something I've had to do work around, like sort of like you know, you know, know Vanessa, that's not right, or it's not right to feel that way, or be careful about you know really wanting to go for things because you'll set yourself up for disappointment. That was definitely a story, and mm. so I think I think for me, as, as you're saying this, and I think back to that experience. I almost feel like it was that playing out at a different level, right? Once I got that contract, it was like, well, you've gone for what you've wanted. You, you said you wanted, right? You wanted to train as a coach. You were you, you know, transitioning out of the stay-at-home mom, you know, being a coach, setting up my own business. I was very excited about that, I was very passionate about the work still am today. And then it was almost that, it was, it was almost as if it was tinged with disappointment that be careful, it's all gonna, I think it's there, you know, it's literally, this is so helpful to say it out loud because it was almost that be careful, it's all gonna come crumbling down. And the version of it coming crumbling down was, well, frankly, they're gonna discover that you're not good enough, right? And that you should be baking cupcakes at home and actually not coaching the C-suite and all these top executives.
1: Right. Now, let me ask you something. I love that you got to this. So this whole notion of being careful, if you just breathe for a minute into your body, where do you feel that? Be careful.
0: Mm. And it's uh, and I am very aware of it right now. It's kind of in my solar plexus.
1: Perfect. You know why? Because your solar plexus, that chakra is your personal seat of power. Be careful. Mm. Be careful. Always in the background. Be careful. Now, Uh, What I would say to you, if we were working together, I'd say, okay, Vanessa, over the next week, notice when you either have that feeling in your solar plexus, or you notice you're saying yourself, be careful, or you notice yourself not giving all of you, you're giving 99% of you so that you can begin to witness when that gets triggered and then begin to, to discover and dissect, well, what's triggering it? Is it a person of authority says X? Is it putting that post, that blog post out that you've been wanting to write, that's way more vulnerable than the ones that you've been doing to everybody is, yes. you know, you're in a meeting and you speak up now this, you know, now nobody's in meetings, but you speak up and nobody pays attention. Then a guy says what you just said. And everyone's like, Oh my God, he's amazing. He's, he's amazing. Growing. Yes. Yes. You know, well, be careful. Don't speak up anymore. So I'd have you unpack that And then we look at, well, how do you want, if you, if you were done being careful, because look, being careful is your superpower. Look where you are today. Mm. Look at what you've accomplished today. Look at the good, look at the lives you've transformed all inside of undistinguished being careful. Mm. And when you take that away, if you weren't busy being careful, consciously or unconsciously, how do you want to show up? that maybe you've never even thought about before or never let yourself show up as a leader,
0: as a coach. Oh, good. So a couple of things that are coming up, because I, you know, I personally, I was fascinated, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you today for our podcast listeners, because the truth is, is I ended up doing a lot of work around this for myself, right, back then. And we, we're talking, you know, this was, we're talking, gosh, 15, 16 years ago. And there was something that you said earlier, which I think is, you know, about turning it into A, a superpower, because the reality is, I had enough kind of insight to know that it wasn't all bad. Now, it it was very present. I'm not for one minute saying it was not. I mean, this kind of, my, my imposter, I ended up drawing my imposter. I ended up, he was like a little cartoon character. He was called Freddy the Fraud. I gave him a name. He actually looked like a little, you know, the Mario Kart, like, um, yeah. The kids, my my son would play with whatever it was, the Nintendo Mario. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Freddy the Fraud looks just like Mario with like a big mustache. And, And it was as almost as if he was like an ankle biter. And he was like this tiny, tiny little thing, being, that would creep up, as you say, at trigger moments, right? And back then, a lot of my trigger moments were powerful, very confident, borderline arrogant, let's say, um, male executives. So here, right, it was like, now I'm in that, you know, the container where I've got to work through these things. And for me, part of the, as you say, the be careful, which was the good side of it, it was like, that's some wisdom that's come actually coming to me, right? It's like, be careful, let's listen to this. And at the time, the reality was, Jen, I actually wasn't, it definitely a natural gift for me coaching, right? And I own it as a natural gift today. Back then I was in the questioning. So as you said about like the natural gift and the procrastination and everything, it's like, wow, that rings true. But I was also using that to skill up. It was the be careful. I was learning more, but learning more in a very strategic way so I was actually doing a lot of research, right? Into core subjects. I was learning about strategy. I was learning about peak performance. It got me into the world of leading teams and like really good things through that, be careful. Yep. So that was, you know, the kind of wisdom of it. Um, and certainly again, now with the, oh my gosh like it's so wonderful when you've got like 16 years right, to, to fast forward and look back on these things when you say what's that version of me that now shows up she's just so much bolder i mean so that the care is kind of there at the center of it but you know i'll cut through stuff now so much quicker and dare to say things and frankly not particularly be bothered by you know not the consequence, it's not that I sort of, you know, want to become rude or anything like that. But again, it's just showing up in such a different way. Um, And I love that you said, and I'd love for you to expand upon that, you know, in your work, using imposter syndrome as a superpower. Because I I did do a lot of work. Had I known, had I had you in my corner back then to say like, we're using this as a superpower. Oh my gosh, that would have shaved up shaved off a lot of time and a lot of suffering.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, what I hear when you're speaking about how you're showing up now, I hear bold, authentic, and caring,
0: right? Right? Mm -hmm. That is
1: who you are. You are bold, authentic, and caring. Absolutely. Without a doubt, anybody listening to this podcast, anybody who's ever interacted with you, anybody who's watched you on anything, bold, authentic and caring. You'd have to put it into your own words. But with my client, so what, how um, imposter syndrome played out with her, with her perfectionism is she, not only did she want to be perfect for fear of being embarrassed, everything, everybody else had to be perfect too. Now she was a uh, COO and a CFO. And so this perfectionism, we are coming in numbers on a company when you're looking at ROI. You want to be a perfectionist because Mm -hmm. the numbers don't lie. If you get wrong on what your KPIs are, what the ROI is, you could wind up nixing some segment of the company that actually is making the company a lot of money, but you didn't put enough care into looking at the numbers. So here she is, the COO of a a big trade association, 55 years old, but an upset nine-year-old is running the company. Mm. And so what she could also see was that perfectionist tendency she expected out of everybody else, including people who reported to her. They could never do anything right. And she, was, she loved her job. She'd been there 26 years. She had her boss for 15 years. The two of them used to get along like peanut butter and jelly, and she couldn't stand them. She used to love her job. She hated going there every day and was ready to leave. Mm-hmm. Because part of that perfectionism is she took everything personally. If things weren't perfect, she took it and internalized it as personal to her. And so when we identified, and this was in one session, we identified that brain pattern and unlocked it. And she could see the whole world of trying to get everything right. And and then she goes out to observe. And in the second session, we identify those triggers. We had a conversation about what would that look like if you weren't a perfectionist, if you weren't taking things personally. And she said, you know, she said, I want to be caring. I want to be empathetic, but I can see something else that would really serve me is just being curious. Mm. Instead of taking it personally, I could say, and this is the practice that we put together. I'm curious, how come you didn't finish that report? I thought after we met, I asked you if you had questions, you said you didn't and you understood it. I'm just curious, what do you think went wrong? Rather than why didn't you do this? You're, you're making more work for me, et cetera. And that is a practice she puts into today. So as I was working with her, we would look at places she could practice, I'm curious. We would role play conversations. Well, she is now ecstatic in her job, the same job. She's fallen back in love with it. She's fallen back in love with her people. And oddly enough, her boss went off to, to another association. And we really looked at whether she wanted to apply for the CEO position. And in her heart of heart, she didn't, she liked being, and we looked again to see if imposter syndrome was fitting mm-hmm. in there, but what truly spoke to her and her soul was being in that COO, CFO role. And so that's how we turned it into her superpower. She became curious. She was empathetic. Yeah, and what I always teach people, if you assume that this is a line, everything below the line is imposter syndrome and reaction. Mm-hmm. And everything above the line is up for creation. So the yeah. moment we, we observe that, be careful, wait a minute, okay, am I choosing powerfully to be careful and study everything and really gather that information or am I still in reaction mode and am reducing the risk and stepping back? Can I be bold, authentic and caring right now? Can I be curious, caring and empathetic right now? So that's, and it's really about practicing, practice, 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 you know, the when I work with people in imposter syndrome, what we're doing and what we did with you is really unlock a new neural pathway. Yes. Because that old, that old habit is so ingrained. So now we want you to practice, practice. And that's part of the visualization technique because it creates a stickiness and that neural pathway and the practices create habits that allow that just to become natural to who you are. So for you, the work you did is just. Part of who you are is bold, authentic, beautiful. I'm gonna put that in and caring. That's just who you are. You're welcome. It's,
0: uh, thank you. No, it, And again, it's so good. I mean, again, such a great conversation. This is something that honestly should be taught. I mean, so much earlier on, as I say, yes, I was able to work through that level of it. Um, it, there was a lot of anguish at the time, a lot of discomfort, and of course, you know, you, you figure things out, but I feel like, wow, why aren't we taught this stuff in school, Jen? I mean, we should be like so much earlier on, and especially, right, as you say, this, this is something that affects people that are achieving, right? Because again, it's back to if we're not striving to get outside of our comfort zone and go, go for those stretch goals, well, imposter syndrome's not likely to show up, right? That's again, and it's one place of keeping it all in its corner, but you start to stretch and be bolder um, and then it starts to show up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I always joke and say, I joke about this, it's not really real, but left up to my own devices, I would lie on the couch watching romantic comedies in my fuzzy slippers, eating chocolate covered cherries or eating some kind of chocolate and drinking a good Chardonnay, Imposter syndrome is not gonna find me if that's all I'm doing with my life. Right? That sounds quite good
0: though, by the way. It does, right? <laughs> once, once in a while, that'd be good. So I am curious, I'm gonna t- turn the tables on you now, because yeah. I'm very curious. How was imposter syndrome showing up for you?
1: Oh my God, this is how I got into this whole, this is how I became an expert. So I was a coach for an international personal growth and development company for 16 years. And at the same time, I was in politics and working on getting other people elected and passing legislation, yada, yada, yada. Um, around 2016, when I went into business for myself and wanted to be a coach and I was no longer coaching for this company, I saw what other people were doing and none of it seemed to make sense to me in terms of how they were coaching people. Like, everyone's like, hey, I can tell you how to get, you know, high ticket paying people and you should do Facebook ads. I'm like, that is nonsense. So as I was trying to figure out my own lane of how I wanted to coach people, the other piece that was there for me was I was no longer representing this well-known company. Mm. What do I have to say? Is what I'm saying gonna make a difference? How do I think about something? Is anyone gonna listen? And I spent a lot of years throwing spaghetti on the wall and trying to figure stuff out and doubting myself. And around 2000, I mean like three years, Around 2019 is when I realized, oh, it's imposter syndrome. Well, I know what it was. 2019, I said, I'm going to take on, all right, I know what I have to say. I'm going to be a tall poppy. I'm going to stick my neck out. I'm going to be heard. And my head got lopped off time and again. I took on a big corporate client and got sucked into a toxic environment and spent the year like in bed. I mean, I was out working. I was traveling every month, but when I was home, I was under the covers crying, annoyed, really unhappy. Finally, 2020 comes along of all times. And I'm like, oh my God, okay, let me, let me sort this out with one of my coaches. And I realized I was six years old. I liked the same boy as my best friend, Michelle. We liked Keith and we decided at six, what we ought to do in Michigan in the winter is chase him around the playground in the snow and push him down on the snowbank. And see who he liked by puckering up and see who he would kiss.
0: Oh my he, gosh. I know where we're going with this. I know exactly. You didn't get kissed. I didn't get kissed. He kissed Michelle
1: and not me. And I looked at Michelle, who was this tiny little pip squeak of a blonde-haired, blue-eyed thing with a pert nose, and I'm five foot ten with black hair and black eyes, and you know, big-nosed Jewish kid twice the size of everyone else, and I didn't get kissed. I didn't get kissed. And right then I said, okay, well, I'll just be the funny sidekick. Mm. And my whole career was spent go, helping other people go after their dreams to the mm. point where I didn't know what my own were, to the yes. point where I didn't know what my voice was. And in the moment of unlocking that, the whole world opened up to me. And then I began researching imposter syndrome and recognizing it for what it was and then designed the quiz that I do and the talks that I do, because the more I get into it, the more it's there. It's never going away. It's simply, am I going to buy into the imposter syndrome or am I going to show up as playful, irreverent, joyful and loving, which is yeah. the person that I that I am? But yeah, it was, I was a mess for a yeah. year, a good year.
0: And I think again, you know, again, thanks for sharing your story. Cause I think again, it is, it's like, it's, it's how it gets us in our, in, in the grip of it, right? And, and a lot of this stuff has happened, as you say, very early on. And as you say, we, you know, I did an episode recently, which was, you know, I get into that with you in a minute, but it was all about financial, you know, my financial story and my money story. But really and truly, you know, like my kid, my, my inner five-year-old was running the show and how we have those earlier experiences that we think are somewhat benign. You know, it's like, whoa, well, what was the big deal? But yet here we are decades later, I mean, really decades later, as you say, and it's always at that point of stretch, which is why this is an important conversation. So your comfort zone was actually, you know, having a, a high flying job and career with the other company, but the stretch is when you start to go out on your own, right, and that's something I hear from women a lot. Once Absolutely. they're starting to establish their own brand, that's often where those voices you know, kind of creep in. And we find that there was this thing, as you say, from decades ago, <laughs> that is running the show still.
1: <laughs> exactly. I'll tell you another because it's always some innocuous little thing, but our minds make up stories. I had a client who was also a CFO for a big company. And when she was about 12, she and some friends were walking to get ice cream after school. And two of the girls didn't have money and she offered to pay. And one of the girls said, well, there she goes again, helping everybody out. And right then she decided I'm never going to offer help. I'm never going to ask for help. So Mm. everything she had to do herself, she, she couldn't delegate to her team. Uh, The, you know, people should just know already, you should know what I need, but everything was about her doing it alone. Yes. Ice cream. And I said, what happened? She goes, I walked to the store and got ice cream. I go, "Uh uh-huh. And that little twelve-year-old's running your company and managing multi-million dollars of financials. Yay!
0: Yay! (laughs) Exactly. Oh my gosh, so good. So tell me, I I do want to bridge this into as well. A, I'm curious even about your own money story because a lot of what we share on this podcast is that you know, again, our our own money stories and the own breakthroughs that we have to have in terms of taking you know, really you know, taking our business to the next level. And I'm curious, because I'd asked you this question of how do you see, you know, like, what is the link between imposter syndrome and actually generating more money in your business? What are you seeing around that?
1: things around that, that I, that jump out at me. And I loved that question. I told you that because I had never th- thought to connect those dots. And even as you were talking, I can now see more dots connected to my version of imposter syndrome and my money story. But number one, women don't ask when they're being an imposter, we don't ask for what we're worth. Mm. We don't ask for the raises. We don't ask for the big clients. We don't ask for a big paycheck because we devalue our worth. Well, they're going to find out. I don't know what I'm doing. Right. Yes. Uh, yes, another yes. one is, yeah, we don't go for the higher paying job. If you're not an entrepreneur and you're in a company, if you're most women, if our resume doesn't match all 12 of the skills they're looking for, we won't go after that job. A guy comes along he'll be like, oh yeah, I'm breathing. I'm going to apply for that job.
0: What's yeah, the big deal? The 12,
1: <laughs> Yeah. Or I've got two of the 12, whatever it was. And then the third way is that you get passed up for promotions. You get passed up for big contracts because you don't like talking about yourself. You're not promoting yourself. And I'm not saying to promote yourself in an arrogant way, but you're not, you discount the work you do and you don't own your own genius. You don't embrace your success. You don't own your genius and express that to other people. So that would be the three ways passed passed up for the promotions. Don't go for the big jobs and don't go after more money or and a I higher, see, higher I
0: ticket. Could, exactly, I could draw a parallel because obviously you work more in inside of organizations, right, C-suite and executives. Mine are female entrepreneurs, right? Typically, again, you know, growing, wanting to grow and scale their business. But in fact, I can see exactly the same because now here they are outside of corporate, right? And they're doing their own thing. And again, pricing can be all over the place, um, undercharging and over-delivering. Something yes. we see an awful lot of, Absolutely. Um, you know, again, you know, again, discounting even their services, you know, kind of offering those deals. Another area that I see a lot is, well, again, part of the work that we do is kind of similar to the promotion. It's like they don't give themselves a promotion with their ideal clients. So working with clients that honestly are too easy um, and it's almost like they could, I, you know, I liken it to they could almost have like a PhD level of skill set that they could be operating at, yet here they are matching themselves with, let's say, elementary school, right? So, and often that feeds the beast, that imposter syndrome of undervaluing themselves and their expertise, because at the end of the day, there's a mismatch, right, on the skill level and the audience that they're actually operating with. Um, the other place that I see it really plays out a lot in, in, in the female businesses is not paying, not paying themselves the salary that they want from their own business. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of other people will be paid first in the company, other people may be paid more than them. And again, it could be the kind of a small amount that's left over or kind of what's left over, and I'll make do. So those are some of the places that we really see it critically playing out again with money inside of a small business. So it keeps, it, it's the same. It just looks somewhat different, but it's the same stuff.
1: Yeah, that's, it's, I love what you're saying for a couple of reasons. One is one of my clients is actually one of those very people, per, people who was paying everybody else and then she didn't take her bonus. Because I just shouldn't do that. I'm the owner, you know, and I'm working with Mm. her on that. And then I also remember being part of a round table um, of eight figure business owners and just listening to them to gain as much knowledge as I could. And one of the things they said was how we didn't, we're not doing anything different than we did when we were six figures or seven figures, we just charge more. Mm. But that has to be what you work with people on has to be a shift in mindset to relax, to receive, to allow for the reception, the receptivity of not what you're owed, but what you're worth.
0: Yeah. And what your services are truly worth as well, right? That's one of the things I always try to work with just untangling. Let's not get this so tied up in self-worth because at the end of the day, we're it's infinite what we are worth, right? Yes. But if we can really start to look at what the services are really worth. And especially when we translate those into the results that we get for our clients and the knock-on effect, we start to see, oh yes, you're quite right, Vanessa. I'm seriously undercharging. Yes. Uh, quick, uh, I've got another question I want to ask in and we're gonna get into a couple of rapid fire just to kind of end this. I could go on forever today, Jen. It's such a really juicy, juicy, important conversation. Your own money story growing up. Oh, let's go there.
1: Okay. Easy. It was scarce. That was my perception. It was scarce. So middle, definitely middle-class. And I have a couple of very specific memories because my parents divorced when I was young. My mom was a school teacher. Couldn't, couldn't keep raising us in the house on her salary and went to work for the government. But there was a moment sitting at the kitchen table, dining room table. She was very quiet. I was eating dinner. My brother had left what's going on? And she just burst into tears. She goes, I don't know how we're going to pay the lights. I don't know how we're going to pay all this stuff. I guess I have to put it on a credit card. And I looked at her and said, I'm the kid. I mean, I'm the one who asked, but I'm the kid. Why are you unburdening yourself on me? Mm. You know." So my mother was very good at saving, very good at being frugal, which resulted in her being able to take us all on family vacations. And when she retired, she had a good amount of savings to be able to retire on. Now you would think that would have passed to me, but no, how I related to that was if I got it, I spend it because I want to spend on what I want when I want it. Yes. And so now, you know, as the owner of a company, I have to look at, okay, what's going into retirement? What's going into the, you know, savings to be able to pay my uh, taxes. What do I have in liquid? What's, what are all my investments? How am I planning three years, five years, 10 years out for growth? And what resources do I need to get there? Which is a very different mindset. And I also shared with you, there was one of the questions, well, you'll probably ask it. So I'll wait, but yeah, I've had to shift my mindset continuously. Around and this.
0: you also shared something around, you know, the perception of rich people growing up. That's the one it's like, what was that about?
1: They are mean and they are grifters and how come they, they did not come by their money. Honestly, when my family moved from Michigan to Ohio, Michigan, it was Kalamazoo. My brother, you know, I used was to, a tomboy, wore tough skins, jeans, which are like double sided knees so that I could stop ripping my jeans. Cause I would fall. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so much. And then we moved from this very you know, middle-class neighborhood to an up. My dad got a promotion. We moved to this upper middle-class neighborhood and I'm Jewish. When I lived in Kalamazoo, my brother and I were the only two Jews in the school. And we moved to this upper middle-class Jewish neighborhood. And the thing that struck me was none of the kids played outside. None of them played on their bikes. None of them played with each other. They used, it was when the first video games came out. And what they were judged by was, you know, do you have your Jordash jeans on? Which I had tough skins on. Yes. Do you have your video games. And my parents were not ones to lavish us with a lot of gifts. You had to, you know, you got an allowance and you did chores. So I'm like, all right. And they were all mean girls. <laughs> so, you know, these mean girls, Debbie and Avon, was really where this whole mindset came into that they're just mean. You remember are their mean.
0: names. We always remember their names, don't we? Can Ooh. I tell you
1: something? Both of those women have passed away and I dealt with like 5 years ago still being mad at them and realized I was mad at dead people. Crazy. Yes. <laughs> so crazy. <laughs>
0: I know it's so crazy, but the, I, again, even as you said that I can think of, uh, there was one, I won't say the name actually on the podcast, but again, my nemesis as well, that was that kind of one one person in my side growing up. But isn't it interesting how oftentimes yeah. there is this story. Um, and certainly there was, that was part of my backstory as well around money was, it was something mysterious, right? And that they they came across money by some kind of shady means um and for me that really meant you know if i wanted more money then i wasn't going to be a good person and that was something that i've had to do a lot of work over the years and again helping our clients with that it's that you don't you know being rich doesn't mean to you know again the, the story of this podcast right you can be rich you don't have to be a bitch especially in business to, right. to really get ahead uh but a couple of just quick fire questions to end this amazing conversation I'm curious, what does being rich today mean for you?
1: Oh, it's rich in time, rich in friends, rich in love. And it's interesting for me, how I define that is, do I have the ability? I mean, without COVID, you know, I wanna get a big house in August where my friends can all come and we can hang out for the month and I'm not working. Mm. So for me, it's not the material things, because even at this stage of my career, I don't need a fancy house or a fancy car. I wanna travel the world. That's what it means to me is being able to have those relationships and those connections and rich in experiences. I Mm -hmm. think that's what it really is, is rich in experiences. And you know what? You need money to do all that.
0: But you do, exactly. Exactly. It might not be the materialistic, you know, just say, you know, fancy car, shoes, bling, whatever it is. But again, those things, they still need some sort of funding.
1: And, and I want to fly first class when I fly around the world. So you definitely need some money for that.
0: Yes. I haven't been on a plane now for almost a year. I think we're coming up for a year. And I have Me to too. say the thought of us while being in a cramped capsule going over the ocean is definitely I'm you know, ra- wanting to raise my personal standards around that as well. So I'm totally with you on that one best $100 you've spent recently or invested if you like and what is it?
1: Um, Well my stepmom just had foot surgery and I called the florist that she adores that's local in her town. She is head of the beautification committee in her town so she loves flowers, she loves gardening and I called that store and told them who the flower arrangement was for and they delivered her this gorgeous flower arrangement that she couldn't in her drugged up haze because she's on paid meds that she couldn't stop talking about
0: oh I love that so you really paid it forwards and somebody else was just enjoying that as well and I love as you can see here in the background one of my gifts to myself is fresh flowers every single week and I love gifting Fresh flowers, as yes, well. Yes, I know you do. <laughs> so, Jen, um, if people want to find out more about how to connect with you and your amazing work, what's the best way that they can do that?
1: Well, um, for me, just go to my website, JenKoken.com, jencoken.com, J E N C O K E N.com. And for imposter syndrome, the best thing to do is to take my quiz, Jen Coken Quiz. which will give you a flavor of it. It'll give you some resources, some tools, and a link to my Facebook group, Making Imposter Syndrome Your Superpower.
0: I love that. Thank you so much, as always, for your generosity. I know our listeners today are going to be really loving this, uncovering their own imposter syndrome stories. And my message to you as well is if you are not experiencing imposter syndrome, then you are probably not stretching enough and not playing bigger and bolder as you really could be. So Jen, always a delight, my friend. Are you going to go and get some chocolate-covered cherries and a glass of Chardonnay and some comfy clothes and go and hit the couch now? (laughs)
1: At some point, I got to take the little four-legged beast to the vet and wrestle them into their carrier cages. So as soon as I'm done with that, yes, I'm going to cook myself a nice meal. I already have it planned out in my head with my new air fryer. So
0: there we go. You know. Well, enjoy. And thank you as always. It's just well, a Thank fun. you so much.